This is a Federal News Network podcast. Another big federal agency says it escaped unscathed from the solar winds hack. Leaders from the Department of Veterans Affairs told Congress yesterday they're now confident that none of their data was compromised, even though it was vulnerable Orion systems that were stalled throughout VA's networks. But VA's security practices are still far from perfect. We get an update on the department's cyber posture from Federal News Network's Jared Serbu. The Orion platform that Russian government hackers managed to compromise with a malicious software update played a huge role in VA networks at the time of the hack and still does now that it's been patched to remove the threat. According to SolarWinds, VA was using 10 different instantiations of Orion to monitor all four of its Internet gateways and 60,000 endpoints across its networks. And Paul Cunningham, VA's chief information security officer, says the department's Orion systems did indeed download and install the automatically delivered patch that contained the Russian-made backdoor. Nonetheless, he says he's now very confident that hackers never managed to make use of it on VA networks before the problem was fixed. Within 12 hours, we were able to bring down all solar wind instances so they weren't on the network as an ounce of, uh, as precautionary to meet the uh, the executive direct or the emergency directive put out by uh, DHS. So that means that period of time that we recognized that we had a problem and the time we were able to bring it down in 12 hours across this complex environment is really a testament to VA's capability from an operational perspective. So we went through, we looked through all of our records. Uh, First of all, we installed all the indicators compromised. We replayed our uh, NetFlow data looking for any other indicators that showed that this might have happened in, in the past to identify that maybe uh, an attacker used those indicators before we received them. Uh, There was no evidence of that. Cunningham says VA asked the Department of Homeland Security to take a second look. DHS's cyber experts couldn't find any indications of compromise either. We asked the intelligence community to come in, and they said they would come back to us if they saw anything, is how they put it, and they didn't come back. We also commissioned a third party to come in and look at our systems as well, and it was Microsoft. And they came through and they looked through all of our efforts and they agreed that there was no indicators, first of all, that the uh, malware was activated or that it was used in a way to move data in a nefarious uh, way. The Defense Department reached a similar conclusion earlier this year, saying that even though the compromised SolarWinds platform was deeply embedded in its networks, it couldn't find any evidence that hackers ever successfully used it to steal data or inflict other damage. But even if VA can breathe a sigh of relief over the specific solar winds incident, its overall cybersecurity posture is still fairly weak and not improving quickly enough, according to the agency's inspector general. VA's OIG considers the department's inadequate cyber controls to be a material weakness when it comes to the department's overall financial statement. And in its latest audit of VA's compliance with the Federal Information Security Management Act, released last month, the IG made 26 separate recommendations. 21 of those are longstanding issues from previous years, according to Michael Bowman, the director of the OIG's IT and Security Audits Division. Overall, the OIG's FISMA audit, in addition to other reports, on VA's IT security program shows that VA has considerable work to do in order to achieve better IT security outcomes. VA's fundamental mission of providing benefits and services to veterans is dependent on deploying secure IT systems and networks. Until processes are in place to ensure adequate IT controls are deployed across the enterprise, VA mission critical systems and sensitive veteran data will remain at risk. While VA has made some recent improvements in information management, 
considerable challenges remain. One factor may be funding. According to the Congressional Research Service, VA spends 0.52% of its overall budget on cybersecurity, putting it on the low end of federal agencies' proportional spending on IT security. By comparison, DOD allocates 1.38% of its funding towards cybersecurity, DHS spends 3.81%, and Treasury spends 3.61%. If current trends hold, VA cybersecurity spending is set to fall even further to just 0.44% of its budget, based on the top-line budget the Biden administration released last month. Cunningham acknowledges resourcing is an issue, both with regard to cybersecurity per se and with regard to replacing older systems that are more difficult to defend. We have to invest in in IT. Uh, Legacy systems are probably the biggest risks that we have. From a cybersecurity perspective, we've been able to leverage some of the uh, supplementals as we moved uh, cybersecurity activities to assist in the COVID response, especially when it comes to remote environments uh, as well as telehealth. Beyond additional funding, Cunningham says the department sees major promise in more information sharing and sharing information more quickly between VA and other federal entities. There's been a lot of work uh, on that already, uh, but more needs to be done. We want to be able to get to automated uh, indicator sharing where uh, we've seen in other departments where one site can recognize an indicator of compromise, write a code, and it's automatically deployed across the country. Those sort of activities, things that are found in national labs, we need to start thinking a little bit more uh, forward thinking. The VA has partnered with Oak Ridge National Laboratory under Department of Energy. We use that information um, at Oak Ridge National Laboratory for research and development, but I work closely with Department of Energy and Oak Ridge National Laboratory about securing networks, and we talk about ways we can uh, share information. Jared Serbu, Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Check out Jared's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Rick Wade, Senior Vice President of Strategic Alliances and Outreach at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Previously, Rick was a Senior Advisor and Deputy Chief of Staff to Secretary of Commerce Gary Locke. He worked closely with the Obama administration, and he also worked with Commerce's Economic Development Administration to foster regional economic development in distressed areas and with the Minority Business Development Agency to create jobs through the growth of minority-owned businesses. He received a BS from the University of South Carolina and an MPA from Harvard University. Rick, welcome and thanks so much for joining me. And thank you so much for having me. Look forward to the conversation. Rick, in today's environment, leaders have had to adapt and find new ways to lead with transparency and empathy. But can you tell us a bit about how you've adapted your leadership style? You know, this past year has clearly uh, presented some unique challenges that uh, certainly me uh, or I as a leader uh, have had to adapt. Uh, You think about a pandemic, for example, that has placed us in probably one of the most challenging circumstances is sort of lead in a virtual world now. I've not been in my office uh, for nearly a year. And and the idea that we don't have the human interaction, uh, which I think is very important when you think about the empathy that is a a very important value of leadership. So trying to lead from a virtual uh, environment chain and be empathetic and be sensitive to the needs of others has presented terribly difficult challenge. One of the other defining uh, moments, I think, in our time uh, that has dictated 
a change in leadership, if you will, uh, was the murder of George Floyd. I think it created a whole different consciousness uh, in America and certainly within me uh, about the importance of being empathetic uh, in, uh, in, in the way I lead, to be inclusive, uh, to, be, uh, uh, to, to lead in a way uh, in which you're very sensitive to the impact of your decisions uh, on, those, on others uh, across our community. So it certainly has been a challenging year uh, to adapt, uh, but I'm happy to say that uh, I'm still here and we're moving forward. Perfect. Throughout your career, what have been some pivotal moments or lessons learned that have shaped the leader that you are today? You know, there have been so many moments, Shane. I, you know, I grew up in rural South Carolina, uh, quite honestly, at a time when I, I mean, I saw what legal segregation was. I mean, I, I wasn't able to go to an integrated school until middle school, being bused across town. And I remember, as strangely as it may sound, uh, in 1979, I wanted to run for vice president of my student body at Lancaster High School, a liberal school. And I had to run on the ballot as vice president black, literally. And there was another candidate who ran as vice president white. And the irony of that story uh, is that the following year, I ran for president and I won overwhelmingly. That was a lesson for me in leadership. And, and the lesson there was, you know, perseverance, uh, have the tenacity, uh, have a vision and overcoming barriers. And, and I didn't let the idea uh, that the construct that I had to run as vice president uh, 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 deter me from reaching my bigger dream which was to represent students. So I know that's a, that, that perhaps may be a small example of leadership, but it really did define how I view myself, uh, the vision that I have, uh, my willingness to, to fight for change. And that was, that was the beginning. I think that's at the foundation of how I lead. And there've been so many other moments. Uh, one of the most defining moments for me personally was uh, the, 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 the massacre at Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina, a very close friend of mine, Senator Reverend Clemente Pinckney, who lost his life. And, and it, it conjured up, again, these issues of how deep the divide in terms of race in America is. And, but it also inspired me to lead even more and to lead harder and to lead with diligence and vigilance uh, to help close that divide. So there have been so many defining moments uh, uh, in my career. I, I will tell you, even uh, after the murder of George Floyd and my role at the U.S. Cha- Chamber of Commerce uh, to galvanize the business community, uh, inspired by that tragedy. And now we have a whole broad, historic sweeping, what we call equality of opportunity initiative that I'm leading, that I, that, that, that I was inspired to develop. And we're bringing together corporations from across America to address what we call equality of opportunity. So my point there, I think, with all of these moments, they've all been pivotal moments at different parts of my life, my career, my journey. And I've seized those moments to make the best uh, of, of them of, of what I could. That's fantastic. It's a great, great answer. Many stories. Thank you very much for sharing that. Um, who is the most impactful leader in your life? And what quality... Did you admire about them? You know, I, again, I, I can't say that I had, I had just one, but I would tell you the one person who, uh, who had, whose historical leadership has inspired me the most, and that is the leadership of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And there's so many attributes there that are consistent with my values. 
but the one the one part of his leadership was vision and i i mean the idea that you can have a dream which we often define and think of his big i have a dream speech but i think that's a really important attribute of leadership Shane, that you can sort of see beyond the challenges of today and see a better future for people and for yourself so that the idea that leaders have vision uh, despite the challenges is seeing a forest despite the trees. It's seeing an opportunity despite the barriers. And that, that attribute, I think, is one that, that I embody. I mean, I, I, I'm very optimistic uh, despite the challenges, despite the circumstances. So the whole notion of vision uh, was a very important attribute that I, I learned and that I tried to emulate from the leadership of Dr. King. Wow, fantastic. And as someone who's got an extensive background of federal service uh, and out of federal service, what advice would you give to feds looking to develop leadership skills? And, and you can talk about mid-career, senior career, early career. Um, what comes to mind there? Yeah, listen, I mean, you're aware that I had the, the, the fortunate opportunity. We didn't have a secretary of commerce when uh, President Obama, uh, of course, I served as one of his senior advisors, was inaugurated. And the president asked me to go to the Department of Commerce to hold the fort down. And that was one of the most exciting experiences in my entire career, not just for the title and the the wonderful experiences, but I understood the value of federal employees. And and folks forget sometimes, Shane, that we political appointees, we come and go. But the folks who, who are grinding every day, who are at their desk, no matter rain, sleet or snow, uh, who bring innovations, but yet don't don't get the credit for it because the political appointees get all the credit. I think I learned something about the humility of of being a leader, uh, and 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 I, I I built so many friends who were federal employees, not just at the manager level, but the frontline workers, the administrative assistants, and I was very deliberate. I mean, one of the things that I was most proud of, strangely enough, I was that guy, even though I was senior advisor to the. Secretary of Commerce, and I, I, my office was on the floor, the top floor. We call it the blue carpet, Shane. But I made a deliberate point to go eat in the cafeteria every day, as many days as I could, just to sit down and talk with employees. And I grew from that. And, and, and there were so many times where I took their ideas back to the blue carpet and said, and I told the Secretary Locke, you got to go down and sit down and talk with regular, common, everyday folks. They're in the cafeteria, not in the dining room on the blue carpet. And so he started doing that. So the, the point is, I think for me, the advice that I would give is to continue to do the hard work. I do think that we should do a better job in government in providing the kind of admiration for those workers as we do the high level appointees. And, and that may be something that, uh, that I'm looking to work on myself uh, to help continue to advocate for our federal employees. Uh, they, they, those are the hard workers. That's where the work gets done. And, uh, and, and, and so I think that's a lesson for me, if there was some advice and counsel I could give, is to continue to do your work. But, but we have to do our work as leaders of these agencies to create ladders uh, of success and, and, and reward and admiration for the hard work that they do. Rick, thank you very much. You've inspired me. These are tremendous insights and stories. Uh, I love every single one of them. You've got a fascinating journey in leadership yourself. And thank you very much for sharing that with us today. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Thank you for listening to today's Lessons in Leadership podcast. And until we see you next time, 
Take good care. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.